Glad you're here at our second service this morning. We had a great group at our first service this morning, and so glad you're here for this one today, and know that we have many more that are watching online, and we're glad that you're watching, and we want you to stay safe and be healthy, and look forward to seeing many of you soon. Also have folks that are watching literally around the world. We get a report, and every week we have folks watching in five or six different nations around the world, and so certainly we welcome all of those folks, too, that are watching with us. Here in the United States this week is going to be Veterans Day will be, will be remembered this week. And we have so many in our congregation that have served militarily and, and so, so many, some serving right now. Some of our young folks are right now in the military. And we are thankful that, that they, as well as others of you, have served and have protected us. While we have gone on with our lives and gone to the movies and gone to school and watched TV and not always realized all that you have done for us, we are very, very thankful for that. And it's not just those who've served, obviously that's the focal point, but many of you have sent children and spouses and parents off and we also appreciate you. Let's say a prayer before we get into the sermon today. Dear God, thank you so much. Especially we thank you for this freedom to meet like this. When we see just even from a selfish standpoint, of, for so many of us, our friends are because of this opportunity to meet and get to know people from all over the city and even people all over the world. Thank you for that, Father. Thank you for those who have served and those who serve and those who have sent and will sent and will send, Father, we thank you. Father, may we look like you. May we be like you. And may we remember that the greatest freedom of all is that freedom from sin that came through the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when I go off for every once in a while, I go off and I write sermons. I'll be gone sometimes for a couple weeks, sometimes for a few days. I was gone for five days this last time when Kurt Picker was our speaker a few weeks ago. And sometimes whenever I'm doing other things and doing my regular job things, it's hard to write sermons. Some days they just don't come the way I want them to. But when I'm away, they just start kind of falling out of my head. And some of you say, well, I wish I'd just stay there, right? They just start kind of falling out. And so I wrote several sermons while I was gone. This is one I wrote while I was gone a couple of weeks ago. This last week has been a crazy week, as we all know. Some of you this morning are very happy, and some of you are very sad. Some of you are angry, and some of you are glad. I mean, it's all over the place, considering the election and election results. But I wrote this before we knew who who was what and so that didn't sound right did it that's a bad part about doing this live no but I wrote this before but I want you to understand however you apply this today I want you to understand that this is not just about a political leader I'm speaking about today I am speaking about each of us I'm talking about David, and I'm talking about each of you in the crowd and those of you who are watching today, 
that we need to see, go see how God will do it because we don't always know and always think we know and I always think I have a great idea, but then I realize I don't have nearly as good of an idea as I thought I had. God uses unlikely people. And if you have ever watched how things have played out in life, it's, never, it's hardly ever the, comes out the way that we imagine that it's going to come out. That God uses the most unlikely of unlikely people. And one of those in the Old Testament was a man by the name of Jeroboam who was a king. And you would think of all people that surely that he must have been a great guy if he's talked about in the Bible. No, he was an awful guy. Jeroboam was one of the, the key people in, in Solomon's administration. And instead of being pro-Solomon, he was a, an adversary to Solomon. And he split the nation. There were 12 tribes. 10 out of 12, 10 out of 12 went with Jeroboam. And Jeroboam was not doing what God wanted at all. God wanted his people to be unified. But that's not at all what happened. Instead, Jeremiah, Jeroboam took his people, his people off and had his kingdom. And then there were just these two little tribes that were left that were the original. The thing is, Jerusalem was there. The capital was there. But Jeroboam takes everything else. He was known as a man of fighting. That's what he did was fight. And the whole time that he was king, his people fought with the southern kingdom, whose king was Rehoboam. Do you know how hard that must have been for the newspaper writers in those days? You had Jeroboam and Rehoboam. That was just easy to get confused, right? But this whole time, that's what he's known of as was a fighter. But even worse, as far as when you start thinking about religious things, even worse was he introduced idols or reintroduced idols into the worship. And the place to worship, as I've already said, was down in the southern kingdom. It was in Jerusalem. But he's thinking, this is a really poor idea for all the people that I now rule over to go down to Jerusalem to worship. Because, you know, after all, they might stay and then I'll lose my people. Could be that if they go down there, that, that, that the people in the south will be mean to my people, and they'll kill my people. So I'm not going to let my people go worship in Jerusalem. I am going to forbid that. And so what he did was he came up with two places in his kingdom for people to worship, one in a place called Dan and one in a place called Bethel. But what's really bad, what he did there was he set up idols. He set up the golden calf, just like what Aaron had done way back there in the time of Moses. You remember while he's up getting the, the Ten Commandments, he's down at the bottom with the golden calf. Now this is what Jeroboam is doing. And according to rabbinic literature, now it sounds really fancy, that means writings by rabbis that aren't inspired by the Bible. But according to a rabbinic literature by a, a, histor a historian, said that what Jeroboam had done was had some kind of giant magnet that would raise this golden calf up in his places of worship that would raise it up and where it would it would hang above everything it would be between heaven to show it was between heaven and earth and this was God he's comparing Yahweh to this golden calf well let me say you already know this no one wants to be compared to a cow and certainly not God right the only time cows are good is if you or the Chick-fil-A people, right? But it is bad, right? So what he was doing was awful. It was awful. And you would have thought, okay, the next king, and the, or the next, or the next, they'll do better. But they didn't do any better. 
They were all bad for the most part. Now, there were some good things that happened along the way, but for the most part, it was evil. Until finally, about 120, 150 years after, after Jeroboam, there comes another guy known as Jeroboam II. And the book of 2 Kings tells us that Jeroboam II was as bad as Jeroboam I. Matter of fact, what it says is that he didn't get rid of any of the sins of the original Jeroboam, son of Nebat was the first one's father's name. He didn't get rid of any of the sins. He just continued the sins. He continued the division. He continued the war. He continued the frustration. He continued, he continued the false worship, all of those things. And about Jeroboam the second in 2 Kings 14, verses 26 and 27, it says this. The Lord had seen how bitterly everyone how, had seen how bitterly everyone in Israel, whether slave or free, was suffering. There was no one to help them. And since the Lord had not said he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, now listen to this. He saved them by the hand of Jeroboam the second, son of Jehoash. He saved them by the hand of a man who is known one verse above this as sinful, who didn't get rid of any of the sins of the original bad Jeroboam. God used a guy like that? I don't know if you know this, but God can use anybody he wants to use, right? And God used a man that was as bad as Jeroboam the first and Jeroboam the second and all the ones in between that God would do that? That is incredible. When I read that, it's like, what did that just say? I mean, it's like I'm going, okay, I've got to go find another translation. Surely it doesn't say he was saved by, the, by that king. Oh, no, it was. You can go through all the translations, go back to the Hebrew. Yep, he was what it says. God used a bad man to do something good and save his people. Now, there's another one in the Bible. We're going to look at a few of these today. God used Jacob's sons. Now, some of you know who Jacob was. He's the grandson of Abraham, the father of Israel, right? And you remember that he has these 12 sons, and there's one he really likes. You remember Joseph. You remember him, and God really, or excuse me, Jacob really likes him. But all the older brothers, they don't like Joseph so much. And they don't like Joseph so much because he has these dreams. And he tells them his dreams. For example, he said that there are all these sheaves out there. If we were talking in 21st century farming language, we'd say there were a bunch of bales of hay. And so there are all these sheaves or bales out there. And he said, and they all bow down to me. And then he says, and I had this other dream. And it was like all the stars and the planets, even the sun and moon, they all bow down to me, which they understood to mean they would bow down to him and even mom and dad would bow down to him. And they don't like it one bit. We are not going to bow down to our little brother. Our little brother has lost his mind. There's no way. They are so upset with him. They're jealous of their brother Joseph. They're jealous of him because dad likes him dad gives him a special coat dad treats him a special way and now he has these dreams and tells us how great he is so they come up with a great idea they think they throw him in a well now you know there are things that kids do sometimes to each other that aren't very nice like you know throw the kid in the closet or whatever that's not very nice that's not what this is this is much worse than that Whenever I was in, I guess, ninth grade, ninth grade, my little town was in high school. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, <coughs> excuse me, I have to, now they've got COVID, so, on the flowers. 
No, they don't. They don't really. So, but ninth grade was in high was part of high school, and I and I was in a math class in ninth grade with a guy who was a senior in the in my school, and we were ninth grade, twelfth grade. We were in the same class, and his name was Clinton, and I like to call him Quinto Bean. I mean, he was a big guy, much older than me. I called him Quinto Bean. He kind of liked that, oddly. But one day, he said something kind of sarcastic to me, and I turned around in my chair and said, Be quiet, Bean Breath. Well, he did not like that. And so, you don't do things like, should never do things like this, but certainly don't now. That day at lunch, he found me with a couple of his friends, took me through this back hall into the locker room, and completely taped my body together. I mean, legs together, arms together made me into a mummy only my eyes were showing and they left me there until the bell rang for lunch to be over then they then they dropped me out in the hallway and I am totally like this and they all went to class everybody went to class and it's just me and so I rolled down this hallway (laughs) until finally I got to the coach's office he was taking a nap and I'm hitting the door with my head I still remember him coming out and I'm like this And he's looking around and then looks at me and goes, who are you? And then, Duncan, what are you doing? You know, what's not, that was just a fun little thing. Sometimes people do fun little things, right? What they did to Joseph, don't do that. But what they did to Joseph was they meant to kill him. So they throw him in this well where they think he'll die. He's going to die of starvation. He's going to die of drowning, whatever it is. Until finally, Brother Reuben comes up with this great idea. Hey, this is terrible to kill our brother. Let's just sell him into slavery. Wow, that's a great idea, isn't it? And you remember that they sell Joseph into slavery, and then Joseph ends up going to Egypt, all the way to Egypt. No one would have imagined. You can imagine how sad his father was, though, and how awful it was that they would do something like this. And it must have seemed like to Joseph that he was forgotten. You know, his brothers also sort of forgotten, forgot him. Surely they wondered what was happening to him or what had happened to him. Joseph must have felt forgotten. He's got to learn a new language. He's got to learn new customs. He's got to learn a new culture and go through all of those things. He gets this great job, as far as slaves go, to be in the home of Potiphar. And then Potiphar's wife accuses him of a sexual sin. And there is no trial by jury. They just throw him in prison. And surely he must be wondering, what in the world have I done to deserve this? That there I was back there, most favored of my father. Now I've been sold into slavery. Now here I am in prison. And you remember he had two friends in prison, right? And all this is in, in the book of Genesis. He has two friends in prison. They get out. They forget Joseph. And there he is doing what we call rotting in jail. He has done nothing wrong. Wouldn't it be easy to say, where is God in the midst of this? How in the world does God care about me? But God had the most unlikely plan. Who would have ever thunk it, right? Who would have ever thought that God would be working in the midst of all of that? 
in the, in, down in the well God was working, in the slavery God was working, God was working in Potiphar's house, God was working in the prison, and God was working. Whenever Pharaoh had a dream and said, who can interpret it for me? And they said, there's a guy down in prison who can do that named Joseph. And Joseph ends up being second in command of all of the country. How incredible. And then there's a terrible famine that happens back where his family is. So they go to Egypt to get food. And who is it that they ask for food from? Of all people, Joseph. They don't even realize it's him. He knows it's them, but they don't know it's him. Of all people. Those kind of things don't just happen. That's what we call a God thing, right? That God is at work in all of this. That God has this unlikely plan. And in Genesis 50, verse 20... Joseph says to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. I want you to see that verse again. You intended bad, but God intended good to accomplish what is now being done. Huh. God was in control. God was working all the time who would have thought that back in slavery who would have thought that in prison who would have ever imagined with decades passing who would have thought it but joseph sees it i think you probably already knows know this but god uses sinners he doesn't just use the perfect people because there's only been one perfect person jesus right god uses sinners to do his will abraham for example was fearful and he lied remember abraham lying some of you know that back in the story in the book of genesis as well that abraham he gets so scared because they're they're meeting up with people of other nations and kings of other places and so he says to his wife sarah he said just tell him we'll just tell him that you're my sister and, and then that way we'll be spared and everything will be great. Do you realize what Abraham was doing to Sarah? He was sending Sarah into the harem of another man. That is really low. If you don't stand up, men, if you don't stand up for your wives, for your spouses, what are you thinking? And Abraham not once but twice sends his wife into the harem of somebody else and says, oh, she's not my wife. Can you imagine? And each time God had incredible grace on him and God reassured him again that it would be okay, that he would take care of them, that he would, have, that he would end up having descendants like stars in the sky and sand on the seashore, that it would be okay. And God made him the father of his nation. This man who had done these despicable things God makes the father of a nation. And then you have David. Oh, we like to talk about David and so much about David that we talk about. And, and you might think I was named after him, but my mother said it was Davy Crockett because she liked the TV show, so I don't know. But so many people, we love the name David. David sinned in just about every way you can imagine. You know, in the New Testament, it talks about Jesus in the book of John. The last, verse, the last verses of John said, said there aren't enough books in the world to that could contain all the things that Jesus did during his life? Well, my guess is with David, just with the little bit we see, that probably all the books in the world wouldn't contain all the sins that David did in his life because it sure seems like he was prone to be a sinner. 
that seems like often that's where he found himself. He sins in so many different ways. You remember what he did whenever he sees Bathsheba and he lost and she comes over and then he, then he sends Bathsheba's husband up to the front line so that, he, that he's killed, not so that he's not officially the murderer, but he is. And he counts his troops and doesn't trust God. And he does so many things wrong. Yet the Bible says that he's a man after God's own heart and God allowed him to be Israel's greatest king. Even with all of his foibles, even with all of his problems, somehow God said, I can use you for good. And that his kingdom will last forever. Because, they, because Jesus, king, his kingdom is through that of David. That somehow God can use him like that. Oh, and then I think of another woman in the Old Testament, Rahab, who, let's just say that Rahab wasn't exactly upstanding. I mean, doesn't it seem a little bit ironic that, that Rahab lets out a scarlet cord from her over the, the wall in Jericho from her apartment, which is, or house, which is the same color as the red light district? Isn't that interesting that she was doing that? Rahab, of all people, to be part of God's plan? I would think, because they, they talked to Rahab, you remember she was the one who was faithful whenever they went in to, to spy out the city and destroy it because God's people was to, were to take over the city. I would think if you're going to look for someone, I would find someone a little more gentle, maybe somebody who already believes in Yahweh, if you could find someone who believes in God, who's a sympathizer, maybe one of us have some kind of distant relative somehow that lives there, we'll go talk to them, maybe go talk to somebody who's like a, a cobbler who makes shoes or a tailor or someone who seems kind of gentle and kind and nice. That's not who God used. God used Rahab, the prostitute, to be the one where the men would go, that she would be the one that would help save God's people, the human that would save God's people, of all people to use. And then God made her part of the lineage of Jesus. That is incredible. Of all people, and when you start looking through the lineage of Jesus, and maybe you've heard sermons on this before, there are people in there that are not the ones who are getting Citizen of the Year. They're not getting the Mother of the Year or the Father of the Year award. But Jesus used those people for good. God can use whoever he chooses. Now let me tell you something that's probably not a secret to you, but this is a confession for me. I'm messed up i am i'm just messed up now i'm figuring you you are too but i am some of you most of you so many of you are so kind to me you say nice words to me out in the foyer some of you you send me emails you write me notes i mean it is through this whole covid thing i mean it has felt so good and so needed thank you thank you thank you but at the same time, sometimes I wonder, how am I able to speak in front of those people because I'm all messed up? How in the world am I given this right or this honor to speak in front of you? How? Because I'm a sinner too. How? I love this quote that I read that I find both serious and a little bit hilarious. It says, we're all strange in our own way. 
We have quirks and bad habits and hang-ups and painful experiences that have left scars. We're not quite right. Have you ever said that before whenever somebody said, hey, tell me about so-and-so, and you say, well, they're this and they're that and this and that, and then you say, you know, and they're not quite right. You know that expression? That could be said about every single one of us. None of us are quite right. We have been through so much. Some of us have had parents walk out on us. Some of us have had kids walk out on us. Some of us have gone through the fire of sickness, not just our own, but that of our relatives and people that we love. Some of us have lost jobs. Some of us have had people lie about us. Some of us have had people say terrible things about us. We have been through so much, and sometimes when we come out on the other side, we may be stronger, but we also might be a little bit wacky, right? All of those things happen. We are all messed up. And we are all sinners. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God, as the Apostle Paul put it. And so then when I start thinking to myself, how in the world could, could I be honored to speak? How in the world could I do that? One of the things I remember is Psalm 139, verse 14, when the psalmist said, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Do you hear what God says about me? He says about you too? He says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, you say, well, I'm not very wonderfully made. I mean, look at this face. You know, or you might say, I've got seven toes on one foot. I don't, but you might. And say, how am I wonderfully made? And God says, you are wonderfully made because you are made in my image. Quit worrying about all that stuff. You are made in my image. I love you. And I can use you even with all your quirks. I can use you to do good and to do what is right. I can. When Romans 8, 28, where, where Paul's talking about, about all the plans and all the, the, the people who are called, and he says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Now, there's about 12 sermons in there, and I'll only give you about two minutes worth here for just a second. But I want you to see all this. That in God, all things work for the good. Not that all things are good. But all things work for good. That if I stay faithful to God, and I hang in there, someday I'm going to go, aha, Hopefully I'll say aha. Maybe it will be on into the next world before I know the aha moment. But all things work for good. Now notice who it's for. For those who love him. And for those who are called according to his purpose. Now we were all called by God, but only some people are answering whenever he calls. For those who love him. If I don't love God, I don't necessarily have this guarantee. But I have this guarantee if I love God. And this is what God says for me. He says, you are beautifully and wonderfully made. I knit you in your mother's womb. You are wonderfully made. You are in my image. And while everything may not be perfect, as far as you see perfect, it is all working for me. It is all, all things in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Now, I hope you know this, that joy comes 
from trusting God. That I can trust God on my best day, and I can trust God on my worst day. That I trust God. There's a verse that's not on your screen today that would be, boy, this is a good one to write down. Romans 12, 12. Be joyful in hope. Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction and faithful in prayer. Do you hear those things? Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. If we would just be this kind of people, if we would be people who are joyful, patient, and faithful, do you realize how the world would change? Not just the United States, not just Houston, but I mean the world. If we would just be patient, if we would just be faithful, if we would just be joyful. It's all God's plan. And when we follow his plan and we follow God, it's wonderful. There's a song that, that some of you may know from the radio. It's a, it's a religious song. It's, I don't think it's in, in it's acapella yet. It may be someday. I hope it is and we'll sing it. But I want you to hear these words just to a little bit of it. We were, uh, our staff watched a, a video this week and this song was in it. And I wrote it down. I did what, you, what most people do during videos. I had my sermon out working on it. And so I just charted, jotted it down quickly. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. You never stop working. God never stops working. I don't want to stop either. I want to be faithful to God. I want to honor God. I want to be joyful. I want to trust. Because no matter what, just like I said last week, the king is still Jesus. If your candidate won, your candidate lost, or if you don't know where we stand, the king does not change. The king is Jesus. So today, maybe some of you are ready to be baptized into Christ. God is up to some really incredible things right now. I hope you know that. Last week, there were three baptisms. Yesterday, there were two baptisms. God is up to some greatness right now. And I am so thankful that people are listening to him and following him. And someone said to me this week, this is an important thing because we have so many people who watch online. If you are watching online and you wonder about being baptized, email us, email me, and we'll make sure that we find someone who can share more with you about that. But if you are ready to be baptized today, sins washed away, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, Come part of his kingdom, God with you. Now we want you to do that today. But for others, it may be prayer that you're needing right now. You're going, oh, I, I was baptized, but boy, I don't trust much. I don't have much joy. I don't have, if I'm honest, I don't have much faith. Maybe that's where you are. You can email us. 
at elders at mcoc.org, elders at mcoc.org, or you can go to our website. There's a place you can put it. Tell us if it's public or private. But we want to be better people because of our relationship with Christ. We want to be people who trust and people who thrive because our faith is in him. Come this morning as we stand and sing.